Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, this is Rob Hubel. And this is Paul Shear, And you're listening to Well Futile with George Chen. Welcome to the first episode of Well Futile. I'm George Chen. I'm going to be your host for the show. Thanks for listening to Ninth Floor Radio, 96.9 FM, KGPC. And for my very first episode, I got a special guest to come in to the studio. Our guest here is Chris Thompson from a bunch of bands. We can talk about all the bands Chris is in. Hi, how are you doing, Chris? Hey, George. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Chris has lived out here for a couple of years. You moved out here from Chicago. Yes. And was the singer of some of my favorite bands from the 90s, Monarchid, Circus Lupus, Skull Control. Um, you're not doing any music now, right? Yes. No music now. I'm just focusing on life. Yeah. How is, how is the life focus going? It's going okay. Takes yeah. a lot of energy. Yeah, just working in a regular job. <laughs> yeah. um, you- I think I think the other thing is like um, California is very California, you mm-hmm. know, and so like trying to get people to practice, it's just it takes a lot of energy. I don't know what you mean about <laughs> California being California. That is a familiar lament for anyone who's been in a band. Now. Um, was the first band you were in, were you the singer in the first band you were in, or were you not? No, I was in some, like, uh, mess around bands, and I played bass. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had, like, some garage bands, <clears throat> and then... Uh, and this is in D.C.? Yeah, this yeah, is in D.C. Growing up in D.C. And then, uh, when I was a senior, uh, started a band called Lunch Meat. Lunch meat. Lunch meat. <laughs> is any of that available on SoundCloud? Is there any any? I don't know. Lunch meat stuff. There's out there? a. I mean, I think there's some tracks out there. 
Mm-hmm. We did a seven inch. Maybe there's some other stuff. Oh, I mean, there was the first record. Oh, no, no, no. It was just a seven inch. Just yeah. a seven inch. And then was the next band Ignition? No, the next band was Soulside. So okay. Lunch Meat, it's kind of confusing. Lunch Meat merged into Soulside. Okay. And um, this is like maybe what, 81, 82? No, 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 no. This is like uh, 80. So Lunch Meat was around in like 85. 85, okay. And then, yeah, 86 ish. I mean, uh, Soulside went on for a couple more years. I mean, until 89 or something like that. But yeah, I, you weren't in it the whole time. Yeah, I left the band in like uh, 87, mm-hmm. 86, and then uh, um, joined Ignition. And uh, oh, just as a break, <clears throat> what we were just listening to on the first song you hear on Well Futile is Medu Mokdar, a track called A Fleur Tamgak from this LP that came out in Solel Sounds. Uh, Afalon. I don't know how to pronounce any of that stuff. Madhu Mokhtar, I know. Also, did you know anything about Madhu Mokhtar? No, I don't. He put out an album, and I guess he's Tuareg, and uh, the, the the language and the culture, and they put out a, a film where it's basically Purple Rain, but in Tuareg. Like, it's like the name <laughs> of the movie is something the equivalent of the, the, the water falling from the sky that is red and blue. Like, it's basically <laughs> Purple Rain, and he's driving a motorcycle and and uh, and has, like, a guitar. And he's, like, a great guitar player, a sick guitar player. Uh, I listened to that. There's an album that's, like, the soundtrack for that movie, which I didn't like as much as this record, but uh, I have not yet to see the movie. But Madhu Mokhtar, definitely want to get more into that. Uh, you also have a DJ night that you do, correct? Yes, uh, I have a consistent. I do every second Tuesday at a bar in Oakland called Bar Three Five Five, which is conveniently located at Three Five Five Nineteenth Street. And that, I don't know if that's an endorsement, if we're allowed to say that, but that is where you can sometimes catch Chris. And what's your DJ name over there? Oh, Imposter Rasta. Imposter Rasta. And actually, like I had you DJ at a night that I used to run at the Nightlight. Yeah. Uh, I guess uh, you just moved to town. Yeah. And I no longer do that night, <laughs> which was called Gargamel. But uh, uh, and you have a pretty wide ranging collection. Yeah, I'm pretty schizophrenic when it comes to music, and I think um, I don't know. I used to annoy people a lot when, <laughs> when I DJed in DC. Yeah, like it's 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 a skill. Like I've had people throw peanuts at me when yeah. I DJed at the Hemlock. You know, it's a thing that happens. Um, uh, what is your closing night jam? Do you have like a closing time it jam? De- uh, it depends on how angry I am. Like, I don't know, like <laughs> how much the you know, the patrons like how, of the bar. Have I shouldn't say that. You. Like how little, you know, like <laughs> if I just want to play something really obnoxious, usually, I mean, usually there's nobody in the bar by the time like Alvin and the Chipmunks. Yeah. What are we talking? <laughs> no, nothing that I can't that, do that. That is yeah. wrong. <laughs> are you a fan of the Alvin and the Chipmunks? Current? Uh, you have a child, so I do. You had I've to been watch subjected those. to a few of those movies. Yeah. Like, <laughs> But I think what surprises me is who, I mean the David the, Cross is in one of yeah, them. Yeah, it's like yeah, and he's yeah. I wonder what kind of check that was, you know. Got to be a pretty sizable. Hey, it's allowing us to have a new Mister Show. That's yeah. all I care about. Um, and so yeah, you moved out here. Two thousand thirteen. Two thousand thirteen, and uh, you've had the, your day job is kind of the same stuff that you were doing in yeah. Chicago. I don't know if you want to talk about that at all. Uh, I'm like an advertising copywriter. Yeah. And so it's um, it's fun sometimes. <laughs> 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 so, I don't know. It's a nice, you know, 
it's a nice steady did you start job. that when you were living out in dc or does that yeah that you picked up um, in Chicago? i was i didn't really know what i wanted to do um i tried to do like take my life professionally in a couple of different directions that didn't really pan out. And well, so, well, well, let's go through those. <laughs> that sounds familiar. That's I'm, really, I'm in that that's a really dark also. phase of my life. Between, <laughs> uh, between, is this like while you're in bands that are actively yeah. in bands? Yeah. So, um, so, so yeah, just, chronologically we had, we had, there was ignition and yeah. Los, Los Mordidas. Yeah. No ignition. And then ignition. Soul side. Stop. Yeah. Soul side ignition. And then, uh, ignition, or I left Ignition, and then they ultimately pulled the plug. And then um, after that, uh, Circus Lupus, when I was in Wisconsin, and kind of hooked up with those folks. Okay, so yeah, I, I remember this vaguely. So you guys, you went to college in Madison? Yeah, I went to college in Madison. Okay, I just watched the uh, Chris Farley documentary. I don't know if you know much about him. No. He, he was a guy from Madison, Yeah, and he went to Marquette. Yeah. <clears throat> What's weird is if you talk to... Um, so I worked with in the advertising world in Chicago, and there's there's kind of a blending with like Second City. There's a oh, lot yeah. of that makes there's sense. kind of like there's a lot of people in advertising who aspire to be co- comedy writers, and we were encouraged to take classes there or whatever. So there's a weird mm-hmm. kind of like cohabitation. I worked at an agency, and they had a writers pool of Second City people mm-hmm. just to churn out scripts. Um, but you would talk to people, and they would talk about like yeah chris farley before yeah. saturday night live and i remember even meeting somebody who was like new because he had a brother too i think kevin farley he's yeah. a comedian as well yeah and I, he, he's got a couple brothers one of the brothers wrote the biography <clears throat> yeah but um he oh he was a camp counselor somebody had him as his camp counselor oh yeah that's right that was like one of the okay so this documentary uh i interviewed the director brent Hodge for my other podcast which is a documentary podcast called Subdoc. And that's dropping soon. So by the time this is out, you can a see the I Am Chris Farley documentary and also listen to my other podcast, which is an interview with that director. So I learned a lot about Chris Farley in that time. There was like a camp counselor who uh, he worked at a camp and then there was like a counselor above him who saw just his characteristic potential and was like, you got to get on stage. So there's a couple people that are responsible for the ascent of Chris Farley. One of them is this camp counselor whose name escapes me. And another was, uh, an improv theater in Madison called the arc. Oh, okay. If you know about the arc. That name sounds familiar. Yeah. I mean, I guess you were probably there. So you were there like 86, 87. No, I was in Madison. Um, like 89. Oh, okay. 89. Like I was there for two years. Mm-hmm. Do you transfer or? Yeah. Yeah. I transferred. I like in four years, I'd gotten two years worth of college done. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, hey, we've all been there. <laughs> but I like in between in between that time, like Ignition went to Europe, and I would take you know to take time off and like, or just to go on tour and stuff like that. Who was the singer in Ignition then? That was Alec Mackay. Alec Mackay. So you, what did you have a feeling like? I'm gonna write lyrics. I'm gonna be a singer at any point when you're playing bass in that band. I think I always aspired to like, um, yeah. I think I always like. <clears throat> I think a lot of times it's. With like punk bands, it's like you know, there's okay. I'll be the guitar player. Who's gonna do this and who's gonna, you know? And it's like you just kind of get assigned a role. So I think I don't know. And so you grew up around that 
first wave, you guys were a little bit younger than that first wave of Discord. Yeah. Seems well, literally, Alec is Ian's younger brother. Yeah, Alex Ian's younger so, brother. So, like, did that feel interesting? Because I, I think of you guys, like, there's definitely different waves yeah. of Discord punk and DC punk. And I guess even those bands were after Bad Brains. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Bad Brains is kind of like the first wave. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, it's kind of hard. It's hard to make those delineations because there's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of crossover. Like if you look at any of your discogs, or <clears throat> I guess that's the equivalent of IMDb for yeah, our yeah, worlds, yeah, 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 yeah. Discogs. Like there's so much bleed over and uh, literal incestuousness. Like brother, a lot of brothers, yeah. like bleeding into other bands. But I mean, I think that's. I don't think it's right to say like the punk scene started in DC with the Bad Brains. They're certainly right, there, yeah. but there was like. I don't know, like, there's another band called Black Market Baby who were around for a long time. They were, I mean, they were kind of older guys mm -hmm. early on. And there was another, I mean, there was, like, kind of a weird new wave scene. Um, right. I don't know, there's a lot of weird, like, weird stuff going on. And I think just, I don't know, people latched onto Discord and, like, and still talking about it today. Well, I mean, it is, it is, like, a def, I mean, it, it was, like, super regional, for one thing. Yeah, right? They yeah. only really ever signed bands in D.C., were there other labels at the time starting out that were like, like, you know, starting that would predate that? Yeah, well, um, I worked for a guy named Skip Groff, and he ran a record store called Yesterday and Today Records. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and he, um, he was like an AM radio DJ. I don't know. He's just like in the biz, and I think. He, he made a killing on like selling collectible records. Like you're in high school or something at this time. I don't. Yeah, I was in high school, but I mean, I mean, he, I think he started the shop in like the late seventies or whatever. He was a guy. He would go to England and buy a brick of damn singles, and then he'd just sell them for twenty years. And every year he'd be like, "This year it's three dollars. This year it's ten dollars. Oh, you know, okay. like that." But he early adopter. Yeah, early adopter. But he had a record label called Limp. Mm -hmm. And there's a really great comp called I think it's like Thirty Seconds Over DC, and there's like I would that's kind of like predates that predates, predates the, so it's like yeah seventies yeah like but the there's first some... wave of British punk got influenced yeah. into <clears throat> which is like yeah it's true like in those early days there's a lot of cities that had basically like a new wavy band yeah 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 and that was like generally enough to be like not to be different enough yeah uh so then you're you grew up in high uh, you went to high school grew up in the dc area yeah i grew up in the dc area i went to the i grew up next door to bobby sullivan and that was kind of my introduction to um like punk and and what was going on in dc i remember like being like 13 and um bobby's older brother is mark sullivan and mark was in a band called Kingface. i think that's probably his most he was in a bunch of bands but um so when I was 13, he was like the first punk kid I ever saw. <clears throat> and he had a band called the Slinkies, which was Okay, I've heard of it, yeah. Which was like predated, which predates um the Teen Idols, but it was like it was Ian and Jordy and um maybe Jeff was playing drums and then it was Mark singing. And then Mark went off to college and then became the teen idols and it was an all-ages scene right that so you were able to get to stuff yeah i think yeah i don't really know for some reason there was a weird loophole with the laws and so like bars would like you know if you 
got a cross on your hand or you right. identified yourself as being underage. They'd let you and watch. weren't trying to get yeah. like sneak beers, like they didn't really care. They'd let you watch, but just stay away from yeah. the bar. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, uh, what? Where were you going to school before you went to Madison? Oh, uh, I went out to Boulder, UC Boulder. Oh, really? For a semester, and I. <laughs> How was that? I really hated it. Yeah, like, <laughs> real hippie. Real hippie. No, nah, it was. What was weird? I mean, it was like, uh, I don't know. At that time, there was it was kind of swinging towards the right, and it was like, I don't know, it'd, it'd become a very conservative school, and I just felt like everybody I met was there to go skiing and do cocaine and like, um, not that there's anything wrong with <laughs> yeah, either. I was very immature. Yeah. yeah, I was very immature at the time, and I was just like, oh, I don't, uh, I don't know, like yeah. just kind of freaked out. Did you ever go to Naropa? You know about Naropa? Is that oh, their Naropa Boulder? Institute. Yeah, yeah, I never, I never went there. Yeah. So then you transferred. You did a couple. You did a semester there. And yeah. Transferred. Then I went back to DC and I went to American University where I just like took classes part time. Mm-hmm. And then it was kind of like, I got to the point where I was like, I just got to get this college thing done. So mm-hmm. I went to Madison. And you were like in a band that was already touring at that time. Yeah. Yeah. And then University of Madison. University of Wisconsin Madison. Wisconsin Madison. Yeah. Uh, Fucking lucky. Did you? So then you started Circus Lupus. You met all those guys yes. at, in Madison. Yeah. And when did, did you guys all move as a group to DC? After yeah, that? it was. Well, um, it's kind of a weird story. Um, hey, we got time. <laughs> we got time. So, um, I was in a band called Unrest. And Wait, I did not know that. Yeah, you were in Unrest. Yeah, I was like in uh, what, like in the very early version. Yeah, of very it? early version. So, so pre Malcolm X. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, Mark Robinson, and Phil. Okay, but he always had like a cast of characters, and so um, you play bass. Yeah, I play bass. So okay. I wasn't, I was in Soul Side, and those guys had gone off to college, and I decided. I was at American University, so I was just kicking around D.C. Mm-hmm. And through a friend of a friend, maybe through Brendan Canty, he got put in touch with Mark Robinson. And then just, I don't know, played with him for like six months or something <laughs> like that. Are you on any of the recordings? Yeah, yeah. I'm on okay. a couple uh, a couple of seven inches, and there's a 12-inch I'm on, too. That yeah. is bizarre. I never knew that. That is like a bizarre <clears throat> overlap. But uh, I guess, I, again, incestuous scene. Yeah. Not surprising. That's also just how things would work back then. Yeah. So, but then, so uh, Mark Robinson went to, I don't know why, but he went to University of Wisconsin. Oh, I didn't know that either. I don't know much about him. I actually yeah. emailed him randomly about doing a graphic design job a couple years ago, which we ended up not doing, but uh, uh, I'm a big fan of his. He's a super sweet guy. Yeah, yeah. His, his art, the design stuff for Teen Beat, yeah. I think is pretty iconic. Like the other. The kind of weird parallel other big label for that region, the whole Virginia, yeah, DC region. They did some really, yeah. And I love Malcolm X Park. Yeah, yeah. I love, I love a lot of those records. I love the even the four AD stuff. That's yeah, that hits with me. Um, let's take a quick break here at Ninth Floor Radio, and I'm going to play a track from a local band called Everybody Row, and we're going to come back here with my guest, Chris Thompson.
in a world that was then, there came a man whose only desire was to uncover the truth and to cram it down everybody's throat if that's what it took. That man was Frederick Nietzsche. Nietzsche? <laughs> Nietzsche! Nietzsche! Oh, Frederick. This summer, Arnold Schwarzenegger is Frederick Nietzsche in Beyond Good and Evil. God is dead, and I'm going to find out who killed him. This film is not yet written.
and this is John Carpenter from his Lost Themes album that came out last year, or is it this year? It came out recently, and Sacred Bones Records. John Carpenter, filmmaker, legendary filmmaker. Uh, before that, you heard something from White Noise, a sketch group from San Francisco from like 15 years ago. Uh, my buddy, a comedian named Les Milton and Beth Lissick were part of this sketch radio group. So they had a track about Arnold Schwarzenegger playing Nietzsche. Do you ever read any Nietzsche, Chris Thompson? No. I don't. Me, me neither. I'm very poorly read for someone <laughs> as pretentious as I am. Uh, you're listening to Well Futile with George Chen, my guest today. Chris Thompson, musician, raconteur, DJ. Uh, Chris, uh, we, before that we heard a track by Z's from their album XE came out on Northern Spy last year and before that a track called Escape Plan from a local San Francisco project, Peninsula East Bay project called Everybody Row and I had to turn it down because there was a naughty word in it, so hopefully we avoided the naughty words in that case uh Chris, we were talking about what's your favorite John Carpenter movie? Halloween. Halloween. That is a good one. Like the music is so good on these. I yeah. feel like that's like one of I feel like there's so many people that were imitating the John Carpenter synth style lately. That's been like a thing that's yeah, been coming in really hard. For sure. Mm-hmm. Giorgio Mortar or whatever. Moroder, yeah. Marudo. The Cat People soundtrack. That's pretty I'm not great. familiar with that, but I That's imagine it's Marauder. awesome. Yeah, it's a Georgia Marauder also. But do you think it was something to do with Daft Punk being so popular like two years ago? I think it's possible. Yeah, they were definitely doing some Marauder vocoder I feel like things. really obscure stuff becomes popular again. Like stuff I would never think, you know... Like, I feel like the 90s are really popular right now. Yeah. And yeah, like that's exactly. this is something that is maybe close to both of our hearts in the 90s. <laughs> I feel like this is the thing about being middle-aged punks. I think there's a lot of nostalgia floating around and everyone else that is our generation has like sort of landed in positions of power where they actually control things in the media, <laughs> which is why there may be like Universal Order of Armageddon reunions and, and oh yeah, the Right sure. Coalition documentary, a lot of these things. Which, on one level, I'm happy to see something like like I actually have not seen the Carp documentary. Have you seen that? No, I haven't seen that. Uh, but I remember having a lot of fondness for that band, and because there is sort of a tragic element to you know one person passing away in that band, that I you know I feel good about there being some documentation yeah, for, for sure. That. I remember I just recently did an interview with Sam McFeeters for my other podcast and we were talking about this premise he he was saying he doesn't really cotton to all these you know I not just punk reunions but punk documentaries he he just says that he thinks that this argument that they haven't been well documented is is wrong yeah. it's like they've been very well documented actually he's like people have approached him about doing a born against yeah. movie and he's like knock yourself out yeah <laughs> I feel like it's been handled. So, uh, I, you know, I do think that's weird. I mean, I like thinking back on playing shows in the 80s and there'd always be some creepy kid there with a VHS camera. And mm-hmm. it just, I don't know, at the time it just seems so like weird. Mm-hmm. I don't know. 
Well, did it feel... Yeah, it was like... I remember when the first cell phones came along, too. It was sort of like... It was a little bit of like, right, what are you, the 1% with your cell phone and yeah. your, your camcorder? And now it's like, it's just not that way anymore. Yeah, But exactly. that's... Yeah, like, so do you feel like you had uh, enough documentation of things that you were in? Are you... Is there stuff like you, you're, like, embarrassed about the documentation? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think... I think especially coming from DC mm-hmm. and I think like I don't know it's a it's a complicated story and I don't think I think it'd be really hard to like portray it accurately and I think you're trying to you know capture some people's attention and imagination so there's definitely a narrative that I don't think was there or a thread I don't I don't think it's all like as well thought out as so you, like for example like well we can go just specifically like band in DC yeah right which was the photo book that I know Sharon Cheslow and she was part of the yeah the group that put that together um do you feel like it, it's a scene that lionized itself a lot and you think yeah. that's what it was yeah it's weird yeah when for I, sure yeah when I look at like there is a similar thing there was a book that came out uh maybe five years ago about the bay area punk scene called give me something better and i almost felt like that was a thing that also just happens in the bay area which is we need to prove that we have some relevance to someone (laughs) outside of the bay area and it's a common it's a common enough yeah issue and it's a little bit of a you know little brother anxiety uh and because there is like books like what legs mcneil's book yeah i've never actually read but there's please kill me and there's this so much photographic documentation yeah. from the DC scene and some of that maybe did have to do with like class and the, the you know baby people having access to different materials yeah. and technology yeah i think for a lot of reasons i don't know um it was weird i remember when band of dc came out and i thought it was like a yearbook i was like oh this is a yearbook yeah and i don't and it was just there was a ama- like. Don't get me wrong. I think there's some really amazing photographs in there. I think there was a lot of people like, yeah, like you said, documenting things. I think the problem was like the the wider audience or the wider, you know, population didn't really care or like connect with it. And I, I think I don't nowadays, know if that's true though because I feel like that was like that was an export. That yeah. was an export of original thing that a lot of people. We're talking pre-internet, like because that book came out what like eighty. 586 probably like yeah more probably after. like 87 87 maybe yeah that's a pre-internet time where you to find out about those things you had either maximum rock and roll and then you, along yeah. comes something that's like a coffee table book yeah. version of what you would find in maximum but i re- you know i remember like getting in the back of mrr and like ordering um the search and destroy like ak press used to sell unsold mm-hmm. sets and i I would buy that, and I thought that was, like, way cooler. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean... Like, the photography was just amazing. They had the um, the big centerfolds, and they're just... It's just a huge format. Yeah, like, yeah. For those, for, if you're not familiar, that was a magazine done by Vale, who went on to publish a bunch of different books, and who... Vale's a really interesting character, too, because he had a whole life before punk, and it was very tied into like the beat scene and the North Beach. Oh no way! Like City Lights scene. He actually worked at City Lights. I did an interview with him a while ago where we talked about how basically he got bankrolled to do Search and Destroy, and also like his rent was like, oh man, I don't even know. He said it was something like three hundred. Yeah, like not even three hundred dollars, just something ridiculous. Whatever the nineteen 
79 rents would have been in North Beach. This is pretty bonkers. Um, but but I just thought like, I mean, looking at it, you know, 10 years, I guess, after it happened, it just seemed a lot lot cooler than DC, a lot more dangerous. Mm -hmm. And the bands just seemed a lot, you know, weirder out here. Yeah. I mean, mutants and I don't know. There's just like a range of bands. Well, I mean, the, the, the hardcore thing seemed to kind of make everything more monochromatic. Yeah. And that's what happened by the mid eighties. Yeah. And I feel like, yeah, you guys, at least when it comes to Circus Lupus, this is more of an art rock thing. The yeah. influences are more specifically like an art rock thing, and it's not hardcore. Yeah, I would say that. Yeah. I think just because there was a lot. I mean, I think the precedent had already been set. I think there were other bands like kind of like playing weird, aggressive, you know, math rock or like complicated mm-hmm. yeah. music. Yeah. And so like that was... Going back to that, you were still so we're thinking the story where you were still at Madison, yeah, and then you guys all met each other, and you know, yeah, Seth a little bit because he used to live in San Francisco, yeah. And um, so the way it worked was Mark Rob. It goes back to Mark Robinson. Okay, yeah. Mark Robinson. I don't know why I went to <laughs> went to school in Madison, <laughs> and uh, my girlfriend at the time, I introduced them because she she was going to be out there and that they should be friends, and so Mark. Um, had a friend named Reg, mm-hmm. and so through him I met Reg, Schrader, and then we would like hang out together on weekends and like I don't know, just kind of like go to shows. And you were living in Madison. Yeah, too, I was living. Right? In, okay. I was living in Madison, and <clears throat> he was like, "Oh, we should start. I'm going to start playing with these people." So he introduced me to Chris Hamley and Erica, and they. I don't. Know, I forget how they had already been practicing for a little while. Um, and it was kind of insane. Yeah. Cause Erica Casewell was just like instant, like she never played drums before and she just kind of instantly. That's crazy. Powerhouse. Yeah. She's very good. Yeah. <laughs> for someone who is completely self-taught. Yeah. Just weird. Yeah. Um, and, and so did you guys then do a lot of touring once that was yeah, established? Um, we um they had already started and then like i think reg was like hey i have this friend chris chris we should involve him somehow and then it wasn't there wasn't um there's already like guitar player bass player drummer and so i was like okay i'll play guitar and like there's just no 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 vocals (laughs) yeah no well we were just going to start out like that and i think chris hamley wanted to be chris hamley wanted to be the singer guitar player and we started out like that, and um, it was like apparent that I like I just had no business playing guitar. <laughs> you and, got promoted. Yeah, you, you failed upwards. That's and, what they like yeah. to say. But in a weird way, I think Chris was always mad because I think he he saw that as his role, and so mm. I think he was just like fucking Tom, Thompson, <laughs> just like messed this up. You know, he just he messed up something for me too. No, it's fine. <laughs> We'll, yeah. we'll figure a way to bleep that. Um, yeah, so uh, there was some resentment to start with. That's always the, the resentment that at the beginning of a band. That's yeah. always good that that's... I don't lay that foundation early yeah, on. Yeah, I think, I, think I think Chris was just upset because the band went in this totally different direction that I, I don't think he uh, had anticipated. But we did, like... Because I came from D.C. and I had friends who were, like, calling up and booking shows. Like, I was just like, oh, I can do this too. And it was, again, pre-internet, pre-cell phone. 
and you would like um there'd just be like a like notepad of numbers right and you would just trade numbers and it was like oh there's and every you know couple of months there'd be like some weird random like hot spot like boise idaho or like somewhere in north dakota so you could i don't know it's just kind of like weird yeah like if before <laughs> uh the i was gonna i'll just do the initials byofl uh, which I don't know if you ever used that. I never. It wasn't useful by the time. Uh, you know, the Maximum Rock and Roll. Yeah, Rock, yeah, yeah, yeah. Book your own life. Yeah. Uh, there was that thing. Yeah, but like I, I don't know. So this is probably like '88. So it's still like college radio is still a pretty important yeah. thing when you're doing touring. And yeah, just knowing, just knowing the guy or the girl who is the promoter in the the region is a pretty important yeah. way to go. And you're not just going to Facebook them. Yeah. <laughs> so you just have to be in the know. And so you're saying, because were you setting up shows in Madison also? Uh, I wasn't setting up shows, but we were playing. I mean, we played mm-hmm. regularly. What, we what were, were like, other Madison bands at that time. Was zero bot around when you were there? I do not remember okay. them. Yeah. It was kind of like a weird, a weird time. Um, uh-huh. There's a band called the Tar Babies who are kind of like oh, yeah. famous I Madison band. They mm-hmm. were around forever, and I think by that time, they had mutated into this weird um, party band. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know. It's like kind of they were kind of weird. We were kind of like this weird noisy band, and we were getting asked to like if an amphetamine reptile band was coming through town, we would get asked to play with them. Mm-hmm. And um, or touch and go band. Yeah. What was it? What else was near there? Milwaukee's pretty close to there. Yeah, Milwaukee. Far from Chicago. Yeah, Chicago's a. It's a. It's a little further. Yeah, three hours. Milwaukee's the closest other big. Town. There's like Green Bay. We play Green Bay. Mm-hmm. Um, were yeah. you ever? You were not a sports guy ever. Were you a sports guy? Because uh, Green Bay, that's a big. Yeah, the Packers, there's a there's a big rivalry. Packers culture. Yeah. Oh, when there's I, a rivalry with your school and no with. With Chicago, when I moved to Chicago, it was like uh, there's a very like cheeseheads versus yeah whatever. But the then there are weird traders. There are people in like Wisconsin who like the Bears, and then there are people in Chicago who like the, yeah. <laughs> it goes back to Chris Farley and the Bears. It's fascinating. <laughs> um, <laughs> so then, when did you you guys graduate and then decide to move together? Yeah, I was I was the only one in school, and. Um, Basically, what happened was we had come to a parting of the ways with Reg, and we kind of, we kind of knew like, um, personality-wise, he wasn't like uh, connecting with us. He's just kind—I of, don't know. Um, it wasn't a good fit, mm-hmm. as they say in human and resources. He was what the bass player? Yeah, he was a bass player, okay. and he wanted to take the band and move to Chicago. Mm. He was like, he was with the Jesus Lizard guys and he had some mm-hmm. other like connections. <clears throat> and so he saw us all moving there. Um we had pl- already played a couple of times in DC and like had kind of like um talked to bands there and like there was like kind of a more like welcoming environment mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or supportive environment. So the rest of the band was leaning towards moving to DC. And so basically, I don't know how Seth got in the picture, but um, <laughs> did Seth live in Madison? Seth came up. He was like, he came on this adventure, and he was just like, he wasn't doing anything in DC, and so he was like, I'll drive up to Madison. And I think it had been in the works for, I don't know, I think we've been like 
toying with the idea. Maybe we practice with him like some weird way. But he drove out to Madison, spent the summer there. They just practiced like we practiced. Oh, a they lot. practiced without you? Would they do that? Yeah, yeah. So that's the it, one thing about being the singer. You can yeah. be the singer who comes to the practices and puts things in, or you can be the singer that's just like, oh, I don't have any gear to bring. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, did you at one point? So at one point you were trying to play guitar and sing. Yeah. And then it just turned into you being the singer. Yeah. What were you referenced? Did you have a lot of like ideas lyrically or like uh, stylistically about what you wanted to do for vocals? I didn't. Before, um, before it started? No, I think it's pretty organic. I think also with that band, with Circus Lupus, is just a weird band. It's very, there's, there's a lot going on, so it was like kind of like unconsciously. I think I was like, oh, I gotta like use my voice to accent parts. I don't know. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't like I don't think the ability to be a straight singer with that band would have made a lot of sense. Right. So it, it's a little spiely. It's yeah, a yeah. Little talky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So I imagine that was like really popular the, at the, the time fall, too. Yeah. Maybe. I don't. I don't know. Like I don't. I enjoy the fall a lot, and I get that comment a lot i don't okay. i don't know i don't really see it but i mean just uh, i'm trying to think of like uh a precedent because like yeah like I, I i think well a lot of punk bands it's not like singing like hitting notes yeah it's more talky yeah but i think snotty. your style yeah. is specifically very talky yeah yeah so but i think i think with because that that would be the case with circus lupus it would you know, those guys would practice for like hours and it's just super, um, noodly. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, I don't know. So I would hear rhythms within it. And so I think, you know, that's I, the way I was like, uh, I was reacting to the music with what mm. I was trying to do, w- yeah. whether it be talking or whatever. Yeah. And then, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so th- did you guys, so you toured to D.C. and had played shows in D.C., and then this guy lev- leaves, you hook up with Seth, and then it's time to go to D.C. Yeah, we had, we had gone there, and we actually did some, we recorded a bunch. We, like, did this crazy, like, drove to D.C. for, like, a week. We recorded and drove back. We played a couple of shows, and because I knew Ian McKay, we, I had already, like, been kind of lobbying to, like, get on discord mm-hmm. and he <clears throat> he originally with the band he liked it but he was like um he was supportive but he was like i think you guys should be on like touch and go mm-hmm. so there was like so he said he was going to try to connect us with touch and go and nothing i never is Corey running that at the time yeah Corey yeah. was running that but i never heard anything you know about it like mm-hmm. I don't I think maybe he talked to Corey Corey's just like no way. <laughs> no, not happening. No, thank you. And yeah. you already obviously knew Ian yeah. from growing up there. Yeah. And was that like the only game in town as far as like a label? No, there was some other um There's another label called Fountain of Youth that I think modeled itself after Discord. They put out some really I mean they put out some interesting stuff. There's a lot of like interesting stuff. Mm-hmm going on there's other like just weird i shouldn't say weird but there's other random labels going Mm -hmm. on that we're kind of putting out you know noisy you know punk rock stuff but being in that network that was a very established network yeah and it was a very established like you could probably get did you guys end up touring europe and things like that yeah 
Yeah, because that's like I think a, a that seemed especially back then. I think it would be a pretty pivotal thing to be on a recognized label. Yeah, as far as like getting a European I think, booker. Yeah, they had so much. Discord has so much goodwill, you know, and rightly so that I think it. If you were a band on the label, I think at least for a while people would just, oh, your Discord band will book you, you know. Yeah. Or we're interested in you, and um. They had a relationship with this company in Amsterdam who, I think they printed, or I mean, they pressed a lot of records over there. Oh, right, yeah. Okay. There's a weird, there's... um International partnerships to be yeah. like, basically, like, get your records printed cheaper yeah, yeah, in exactly. Europe, yeah. and then you don't have to deal with shipping them, because shipping is still a crazy expense back then. Yeah. And they're trying to, like, make the records, like, six dollars. Yeah. <laughs> for a very long time. That was still like, don't pay any more than this for a Discord record. But uh, yeah, what happened um, was Discord sold like the first like dozen records. I don't know. They sold a lot of records and then the ta- then the IRS came after them. Oh. And they got um, screwed and they were kind of broke and they were getting to the point where they knew a record was going to sell a couple of thousand or I don't maybe more than that. And in order to get that quantity pressed, you had to pay so much up front, and they just didn't have those, like... The capital. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The more successful they got, the more expensive it got to run the label. And so this guy, John Loder... Oh, yeah, Southern. Yeah, yeah, Southern kind of came to the rescue, and he was like, I'll help you guys. And so that's where the relationship of, like, pressing records in Europe... And then they would get shipped to Chicago, and then... right. I know a little bit about that Southern world. I mean, yeah. Loader is like responsible for Crass, basically. Yeah, he re- crass yeah he recorded early Crass. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a. I don't really know what his. Yeah, I mean, and there was a Chicago Southern for a yeah. very long time until fairly recently. I actually, remember talking a couple years ago when that kind of was in a weird free fall and kind of. I I, can't, I don't know if I'm telling tales out of school, but basically, <laughs> I know this guy. Had they'd taken over Southern after Loader had died, and then the distribution business was not going well, and he offered Ian to just bring all these parts for Discord Records back to DC, and so I remember talking to Ian about this because I was like, "What is going on with this?" And he's like, "Oh, I had to get a warehouse, and this guy brought a truck out from Chicago with all the parts for records, like it was, I think maybe oh, plates labels. and and labels." And printing material. I don't think this is like off the record or anything like yeah. that. This is all like, you know, fairly yeah. established things. But then, yeah, he had to then warehouse all this stuff. But yeah, uh, did you have any good? Uh, where did you go when you went to Europe? What were the stories around that? You guys had two albums out. Yeah. No. Um, well, Ignition went to Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, we toured with this Norwegian band, and they were supposed to tour with a Philadelphia band. Whose name I'm totally blanking on mm-hmm. from like the mid to late eighties. What was a Norwegian band? So much hate. Okay. And uh so the American band, for whatever reason, like a month before the tour couldn't do it. And so they were scrambling to find another band to do it. And so that's we were offered the the gig. And just through, you know, the reputation of like Alec and Chris Paul and Dante, like mm-hmm. that was um you know People were longing, you know, had missed, you know, the faith and. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is like the ignition tour. Yeah, the okay, ignition so tour. Before you, you yeah, the Circus Lupus yeah. tour out there. So, that was the first time, and then yeah, 
Um, and so you're like, what, 19 or yeah. something? And you're touring Europe? Yeah. That must have been awesome. Yeah, it was really awesome. First yeah. time leaving America? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, basically. First time being in Europe, yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. And then, um, yeah, Circus Lupus, we had been lobbying to go, and we just... Um, and again, like I was saying before, Deconquerant is based. Oh yeah, okay. Is the that distribution right. is a distribution center uh-huh. for Discord and like Central Europe and like the X and things like yeah, that. Yeah, and, the X, all and then they X have records. their own label. Uh-huh. Um, so there's kind of like some bleed over between Discord and Deconquerant. They're all very like minded people, and so they would they would set up tours and they would make sure they would there was a van you could rent from them and there was equipment you could rent from them and stuff like that. So, um, we toured with lungfish uh-huh. and it was basically, it was the only way they could make it happen was it was like basically get two discord bands for the price of one. Mm-hmm. Nobody like knew any of us. It was like one of the most miserable <laughs> experiences of my life. In like 90 or what is this? Yeah. Uh, it's maybe 92 or 93. 92, 93. You guys lungfish sharing a van we were crammed. sharing yeah gear. i the yeah you have a driver we had yeah we had a driver okay well that's it's just good. every uh, any like horrible thing that could go wrong, <laughs> did, go wrong. Yeah, did, did it did it lead to just like you get back to america like see you later i'm never going to talk to you guys again yeah basically <laughs> really so but we were there was like there are parts of the tour when there's um, there's like ten of us yeah. and a driver. A trailer? Is there a trailer? There's on the no band? trailer plus equipment, okay. and we're just like we're basically like sardines. Yeah. I mean the drives aren't that bad, but it just like there was already tension, and it was just like I don't know. Was it like who's headlining the show? Tension? No, we no we figured that out. We like agreed to like one night we'll headline, one night they'll headline, and we um. For the most part, we got along. I think it was just like a long, grueling tour. There were plenty of shows where like nobody came. There's like, um, there. The way it worked was Lungfish went two weeks ahead of us, and they toured around Germany, and that's where you make the money. So they basically made enough money to pay for their trip in those two weeks. Then we toured with them for a month, and then it was our turn to tour for two weeks by ourselves uh-huh. to make. Some you know, money back. Yeah. So no one's making money on the double the double Americans yeah. fan tour. But they we landed in England and Lungfish are supposed to meet us and they're driving through they're coming from Amsterdam. The channel? driving through yeah. There was no channel. There's no tunnel then, yeah. Yeah, they're gonna take um, ferry. a ferry. Oh yeah. But from they, Kine or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So from France. And they're like um they have this German driver, um, who probably still does stuff now <laughs> he, he wasn't the most like together <laughs> it, basically that was the other thing was like somebody was supposed to do it like a somebody who had a lot of experience like taking bands like us on the road was supposed mm-hmm. to manage us um like handle all the arrangements and he canceled and so we got this guy <laughs> and it was basically his first or second first tour time, yeah and so um we're in like southern England waiting to meet Lungfish. They're hours and hours late because their van had Amsterdam tags in oh. France. They threw drug dogs in. Oh no. Nothing I mean nothing happened, right. but they were just like they oh, got like was Lungfish. Yeah. Like of course, like the giant beard. 
but they got cavity searched no yeah (laughs) (laughs) so that's how the tour starts lungfish meets us after being like cavity searched at the france at the french border we're driving this car this uh VW bus. Oh, like it's a, a Mercedes a, bus. You're and it's a, a right side driver. Yeah, yeah. So it's like a UK car. No, well, actually, yeah. it was a European. So okay, it was yeah, like yeah. it was on the left side, but it starts. Um, the exhaust starts coming into the cab. Like the, there was too much oil. Whatever the um, it's burning too much oil. It's coming into the cab, so we have to drive <laughs> with the windows down yeah. so we don't die. And it's snowing, <laughs> and so it's just like. So that first this day is of tour. this this was like the first three or four days oh, of a tour, and it just got you know it's just like <laughs> oh man I can laugh about it now, but yeah. If you're uh, if you're just tuning in, we're talking to Chris Thompson, uh, telling us a great story about being on tour in the in the UK with with Circus Lupus touring with Lungfish. We're listening. You're listening to Ninth Floor Radio ninety six point nine FM KGPC. I'm George Chen. The show is called Well Futile. We're going to take a quick break. Here is a track by Silver Daggers. Nope, it's a track by Lakes. Sorry about that.
Sister Nancy, Bam Bam version, B-side of that. You Stalag have rhythm. You have a lot of uh, you have a lot of reggae records, I right? I do. What uh, what's, what when did you get into reggae? Uh, in the late nineties. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I took some. That was the weird thing about like being on tour in Europe is like, uh, it was like all punk all the time. Yeah. And it's, got a little tiring mm-hmm. uh, like you play these you play these shows and they'd be great there'd be like five or six bands and basically everybody kind of sounds the same so it's just this like onslaught of the same music for and then you get in the van and you got to go drive for a couple of hours and they're like oh let's listen to some Finnish hardcore <laughs> or you know like right the driver is just does it because they love punk music yeah so and, and it just and it's I don't know it's just like I would just like to listen to something else. Yeah, I hear that. And Did you listen to comedy at all? Um, I mean, I listened to the classics, but I never. And there was, I mean, there was weird stuff. I mean, um, I'm thinking I more some, like like on a road trip. I think oh, that bands yeah. like listening to comedy. Bands like at that time probably yeah. it was all cassettes. Yeah. Did you get into the crank call stuff? Because I yeah. think a lot of oh, bands for got sure. into crank call stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um. Yeah, weird gags. Um, the Jerky Boys. Jerky Boys. <laughs> yeah, like that blew people's minds. That was like, so like ninety or something. Is that I don't the remember. Boy, yeah, getting Jerky Boys tapes. Yeah, I would have friends who were like into weird movies and stuff like that, and they were the first people. The whole like tape trader and like yeah, yeah video trader. Cult, oh yeah, subculture. Oh yeah, I remember just trading VHS tape. I actually remember one guy never giving me, uh, like I think I ordered it from him off of Skylab, which dates the story <laughs> immensely, which is the early two thousands like tra- record trading site. But it was supposed to be, and he was a singer of a popular hardcore band, and he was gonna burn me. I guess you don't say burn back then. Yeah. He was gonna dub me like season one of Mister Show on VHS. And he never came through with it. I never paid him, but he never came through with it. And I would see him and be like, oh, I'm going to get that for you. I'm like, yeah, I don't believe you at this point. And that was so hard Jerk. to get those Mr. Shows yeah. back then. It was very difficult. So, yeah, uh, Neil Hamburger. Do you ever hear those early yeah. crank call records? Yeah. There's at Longmont Potion Castle. I, these are all things. I should just bring these in here. I yeah. should just do a uh, crank call special. I was There was, like, other weird stuff. And, again, going back to Mark Robinson, he put out um, – who is uh? Is it the Terminal Bar? What is that weird? Oh, the Red Tube. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The Boston. I think it's Boston. But yeah, it's basically what the most is lack. Uh, yeah, Simpsons yeah, 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 yeah. Based on 
like IP freely, yeah, all those, yeah. basically those, and just the guy teams. getting, we can't play those on this show because <laughs> it's just actually riling up this old man who's like, why would I get my hands on you? <laughs> what I get my right? Yeah, it's gonna, it's one of those. Um, but there, so there's other, there's this other weird, there's some, I don't know who it tube was. Tube bar, that's what the yeah, yeah, if tube you look bar. Up tube bar, there's this. Um, I there was another weird guy, and he would call up talk shows. Mm-hmm. And I don't know who, I don't know who it was, but it'd be like Sally Jeff, Jesse Raphael. Okay, yeah. Um, well, I know Sam McFeeders famously did that. Yeah, on yeah. Uh, not Letterman, Donahue. Yeah, yeah. We talked about that, Bam's the Donahue like, call. But I, um, but yeah, the. Sally, my baby's on drugs. I mean, uh, my daughter's on drugs. Oh, that's horrible. How old is your daughter? She's four. Oh, my God. Four months, Sally. She's four months old. Four months old. So, but probably the the European, the German guy driving you around was not going to... Actually, no. no, their English was probably good. They probably just, just didn't get the humor of yeah. it or something. I don't know if crank calls really made it over there. <laughs> Weirdly enough, recently I've heard there's a guy... A South African crank gall guy. He's like a morning radio guy named Wackhead Simpson. So that's like if you like crank calls and you can comprehend a South African accent, check out Wackhead Simpson. I actually a little bit tired of listening to him, yeah. but because uh, that is the weirdest accent. Um, so you've toured Europe. Have you toured anywhere outside of Europe? Uh, I've been to Canada a bunch mm-hmm. with a number, yeah, with different bands. Yeah, Circus Lucas went up. Oddly enough, like went up there a bunch. Um, well, I guess if you're in Madison, then like, what's the next closest? Oh, Toronto. You, yeah, like, but Toronto's like a million miles away. Okay. Toronto's like it's closer to Detroit. Yeah, yeah. Do, Toronto and Detroit are apparently really. Yeah, close. they're relatively close. Yeah, mm-hmm. but, but we, yeah. So you, uh, I think in the in the narrative of your uh, career. Can we call it your career? Yeah. You like to call it your career? Yeah, my career. <laughs> but you're still having a little bit of a crisis about like have what you what about a day job or something at the time or are you thinking about like what oh, else yeah. you're going to be it doing? It was just um diminishing returns. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. When's when's this period when you started being a booker for the Black Cat cuz I saw an article that you're quoted in about being a booker yeah. for the Black Cat. <clears throat> they um so I came back I got out of school and then um, I didn't have a job, and then where I had a bunch of shitty. Uh, excuse me, I had a bunch of um, <clears throat> I had a bunch of me- terrible, yeah, terrible jobs. <laughs> I had some weird jobs. Um, and is because, it all back in DC? And like, yeah, are you are you living with your folks? Like, do you have your own place? Yeah, I lived with my folks, and then when I was like twenty, like series of group houses. Oh, well, this is after college. Mm-hmm. I was actually living. Chris Hamley and myself moved into Alec Mackay's house with his grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> you live with the grandmother, the Mackay grandmother. Mother, yeah, Dorothy okay. Mackay. Yeah. And is she just like, how are you? She's like leaving she you was... like Werther's chocolates, <laughs> like like leaving, giving you quarters, like go to a picture show. She was a fierce woman okay. and she was very I mischaracterized like... <laughs> the grandma Mackay. <laughs> she was um she was like old and like kind of coming to her end. So mm-hmm. um uh she had a this Jamaican woman who was her like caretaker nurse, yeah, uh-huh. Kurt, uh-huh. yeah. She was hilarious. But yeah. so it's like you, you two and Alec living in the house with her. Yeah. yeah. And just like you can't like like you gotta tiptoe in if it's like two AM and she, you're like done. No, I don't with the remember. Show. She 
I don't ever remember that being an issue. I never felt like I couldn't like stay out late or whatever. Oh, yeah, I don't she clearly that. like knew that you guys were all musicians. She was, yeah. She was kind of confused because she, I don't even know how was she, in she a little eight, bit late of dementia, 80s? Or yeah, just a little bit of memory, issues. yeah, just memory. So she would mm-hmm. just kind of be like, you'd just be like, hi, Dorothy, and she'd be like, mm-hmm. sometimes she's like, like, Ian, is that you? Alec, is that you? <laughs> no, no, it's me. It's one of the Chris's. <laughs> yeah, one of the two Chris's. <laughs> exactly. Is that basically what it was? Yeah. She has no idea. You guys are like Fonzieing it in her house. <laughs> yeah. She's like, what? Arthur Fonzarelli. She had a su- she had like a a suite in the basement, so we uh, didn't like interact. Too yeah, much. interact a yeah. whole lot. Yeah. So and and so you were so, doing yeah. this, yeah. So then um, Dante came along. Dante opened up the Dante had opened up a restaurant after ignition called Dante's, which mm-hmm. um, he opened it up in a transitional neighborhood, and it was like okay, a, I know what you mean by that. It was a huge like success, and like I think he like. Um, I don't know, worked out really well for like three or four years, then he kind of flamed out. And he at that time was like, I want to open up a music club. So he opened up the Black Hat and he So you were part of the opening. Yeah. yeah. So he asked like select friends, like, I want you to do this, I want would you do this? Would you do this? And somehow I got like I wanted to do like the advertising, but he was like, Would you book bands? And I was um Cynthia Connolly had booked um dc space mm-hmm. <clears throat> and she like i don't know i i enjoyed her approach to music and she like kind of opened up the space to everybody it wasn't like this exclusive you know like discord zone there's a lot you know there's like a wide breadth of like music going on so that's what i kind of aspire to so i handled the smaller bands and then dante handled the headliners and mm-hmm. big shoes so like like the wednesday night shows or something yeah. Yeah. That was year. Or Monday night. Yeah. And the Monday nights. Guys, you really got to make sure a lot of people show up. Okay. <laughs> Do you want to play here again? You really have to make sure a lot of people And it was 21 and up? It was all ages. It was all yeah. ages space. So yeah. uh, that seems like a tradition that's pretty I think that's more. unique to DC. Yeah. It's really hard, especially in San Francisco. It was very hard to do that here. Yeah. Like, I, I used to try and do that. And the only place I could maybe do it was Bottom of the Hill. And it would be trying to convince ramona look i know these are like four noise bands but i'd like to do it as an all-ages show and her coming back and be like well you know we have to hire two more people to do that and it doesn't seem like a justifiable expense so i remember hitting a wall with that kind of thing here and actually i wasn't even underage so i did a couple of underage shows back in the day in berkeley and stuff but I just kind of always had this mentality that it was important to do all ages shows. And I think that's how you it's it's healthier for the scene. I yeah. Think. It's healthy for a music healthy for a music scene to have like different generations kind of intermingling, I think. Yeah, for sure. And just to have there be and, and a lot of it's very bar driven around here and I think almost every I'm sure Chicago. Yeah. It's like such a drinking town. Yeah, yeah definitely. And DC is obviously like still like a drinking town. Well that's only that's I mean, I think other people would argue, but that's the only way you make money, you know. If yeah, you're running a club, true. and um, oh yeah, yeah. If you unless you're getting nonprofit status, yeah. or you're just somehow, or you're like letting people drink in the parking lot, <clears throat> which is the only other way to really do it. It's like unofficial BYO situations, uh, but 
yeah, it's it's really it's crazy now in what I do because it's still com- it's comedy yeah. related, it's still in bars mostly, and it's just very clearly. And I just maybe my idealism about this has changed a lot. But it's just like, oh, we are like the lost leader to bring people in to drink, and that is where the money really is. Yeah. And to you know, I I think that I was I had to, I, I was very influenced by actually how the Discord stuff was like specifically all ages like it was like a, a you know obviously like fugazi would come to town and be like we have to do it in all ages space we can't do it at 20 yeah. club and uh so i mean that was a big sticking point for me for a long time but i've now thrown that out the window <laughs> what i do now because also uh having a dry comedy show is very rough yeah it's a hard thing to pull off um so uh Circus Lupus breaks up eventually. You yes. have two albums, a couple singles. Yeah, we uh, we put out a couple singles. We put out a first album right before we went to Europe, the disastrous Europe tour. Um, we like we recorded Solid Brass. That was like kind of I don't. It was a lot of songs we hadn't really taken on the road, and so basically we created all these songs. And that's when we toured Europe. We just basically played that record over and over. Do you again. still have the lighter? Uh, Chris Hamley did. Chris has a lighter. Yeah, he was a smoker at the time. So, so like, it's someone still has it. That's yeah. Did anyone uh, give you crap? Like, why? Why is there? Why is there a lighter on this? It's on Discord. Are you guys endorsing smoking? <laughs> <laughs> no, nobody. Not that I remember. But what's funny? We had a friend named Leah, and Leah had had the lighter, mm-hmm. and everybody's like, "Oh, that's a cool lighter." And so she gave it to Chris Hamley, mm-hmm. and then I remember going to the engraving place, and we're like, "We're." Would you engrave this one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and then to get a nice photo of this yeah. of this lighter. So like that stuff hadn't really been worked out live as much as it was a studio studio yeah. album. Yeah. yeah, but it was it was weird being on Discord at that time because Ian really like drives the car. Like he's very much involved in everything. That's what I hear. Yeah, I hear he is very hands on. Yeah, <clears throat> and. Um, at that time, Fugazi was just blowing up like beyond belief, and he oh, was. Yeah, there might have been. I think in between that time, um, Fugazi was just torn. Like they might have been gone for like eight months or a year. Mm-hmm. And so when Ian's out of town, in some ways, a anything other that guys are running it. Like, yeah, but everything basically time, comes yeah. to a halt. Mm-hmm. I mean, like if, I mean, they're still shipping records, but if there's like a release in the works, it just kind of like lags until Fugazi takes priority yeah well Fu- yeah Fug- of course Fugazi takes priority um also because they keep in the label of flow oh, oh yeah yeah so i'm sure for i'm sure there's a lot of that's how it i suppose it's not that it's supposed to work like that but that's by default that's how it ends yeah. up being for a lot of uh these smaller labels you have to have like a flagship band yeah and that's at least back then that's how it worked i don't know how it works now honestly yeah it's yeah. a little confusing now i don't know what or you're just like you're a subsidiary of something and that's the only way you make things work so you you got went to europe another time without lungfish no 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 that, that was just, the only time okay yeah we basically came back and mm-hmm. so traumatized that i don't i don't <laughs> think we ever recovered yeah we played i remember playing a show in dc um we really weren't getting along on that tour and the weird, with each other with each other uh-huh. and the weird thing at that time about if you tour the states and you hate, I mean that's what happens is you hate the bass player, you hate the drummer. I you that just, 
Well, four piece, uh, yeah. Like you, someone's got to. Probably turns into someone feels like the odd man. Out. Yeah, but you're able to because you speak English. You're able to like you're in Michigan and you can latch on to somebody. So mm-hmm. you have this human contact. And then when you're traveling in Europe, at least at that time, you're traveling through Germany. I mean, people speak English, but they don't. You don't really communicate with them. Yeah. So you. So if you don't like anybody in your band, you're so like exponentially isolated because you can't yeah. like form this like day relationship with you know. And also it's just like a day. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, I'm in Bremen. Yeah, I, I can hang out with the one cool person that Bremen. came to the show early. I mean, I've yeah. never been in Bremen. I'm just throwing that out as an example. Uh, but yeah, like that is hard to form those any lasting relationships there. Uh, I, I, I mean, I toward when i had facebook so it was actually kind of easier to hang out with someone uh like oh i'm gonna come back to amsterdam in a month and then we're facebook friends and we can communicate yeah it's a lot more easy to do that uh but yeah uh but the the best thing about uh europe was i saw a ufo uh okay let's get eggs wait you got okay uh, let's 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 parse that down. Uh, you and Dan Higgs, where are, and where are you? You're in Germany. We are driving through Sweden, uh-huh. going to Oslo, and um, it's like you're not driving. There's no, a driver. no, I'm in the passenger seat. Dan mm-hmm. Daniel's driving, mm-hmm. and it's like five or six o'clock in the morning. I think we might have gotten off a ferry. I don't know. We're like, oh yeah, yeah. If you're going to Sweden from Germany, yeah, yeah, yeah you get off a ferry probably. Yeah, or or Sweden to Oslo. No, I think you can drive to Oslo. Anyway, um, yeah, this like green orb, mm-hmm. and then we both looked at each other and we were like, "Did you see that?" And I was like, "Yeah, I saw that." And we confirmed. We we're like, "We both saw you." Okay, what what was it doing? It was just, it, but it was like well, for, that's great for radio. Okay, <laughs> just uh, just across the sky and slow, but it's bright like, green. Uh huh. Uh huh. So it's just an orb. Yeah, it was a green, green orb. orb, like neon green orb. And you're, and it's presumably not some weird Swedish uh, space technology. I can't really speak to that right now. In my mind, you could not identify it. You guys could not identify exactly. It. Hence, and it was green and and had Dan seen these before? Because I feel like he would have seen these before. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, but you you're the only two awake, and you yeah. see this thing. Yeah, so it's a weird. Are you a believer anyway. now? I'm ready to believe. You're I'm ready, ready to, believe to believe everything. Yeah, yeah. I I'm not super up on all the UFO things, but uh, that does fit into. Well, there's an, I heard someone else tell a story about seeing an orb that basically was in place, then just shoots off very quickly. And there's a lot of people that have seen this. Yeah, things. yeah. I have not. I don't actually ever spend time looking up in the sky, but this is like, are you guys like the only people on the road, basically, at 5 a.m.? Yeah. Wow. It's pretty, like, you don't even know where you are, really, probably. Yeah. yeah. It was, like, snow everywhere. It was, like, we, basically in the middle of nowhere, there's no development. And, yeah, and it was, like, um, that weird, like, 4 or 5 a.m. sunshine where it's really mm-hmm. not, it's light, but it's not really light. It's, mm-hmm. it's kind of like. It's definitely not a shooting star. Like it yeah. goes up. No, 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 no. It goes up and like two. Yeah. Off in the. Off but the color, the specifically the color was green. Because it, it was this gray sky and it just popped out. It was like, whoa, neon green. Wow. Double rainbow. This other story I heard actually did take place in San Francisco and it was also like multiple people seeing this thing, yeah. which 
you could say in San Francisco, I don't know how long this one was. I also like this is I I can't. This is a totally second hand. I heard a guy talking about his experience. I'm I've not gotten into it. Uh but I'm also ready to believe that there's yeah. something out there <clears throat> statistically it seems like there we got so many planets. Yeah, exactly. We if you yeah, just there's got to be something. But why are they why would they be here? Is the other yeah. question, you know. Uh are you get much into conspiracy stuff? You get into like uh Illuminati yeah. things? Yeah, I mean, I think when I was younger and I discovered, yeah, uh I don't know, people talking about uh, the Kennedy assassination. Mm-hmm. I was just, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. How can this be happening? Mm-hmm. And then I think, like, the older you get, you just, like, nobody, I don't know. It takes so much energy to do, like. To to, or, con- to, to orchestrate. orchestrate these, like, elaborate schemes. Right. And I don't think humans, humans aren't that, like, motivated, like. Yeah, I feel like a lot of conspiracy stuff, it's like, I'm more ready to believe in competence than yeah, exactly. true, you know, machinations uh, at that macro of a level. Yeah. Um, but let me let me take it back yeah. to um, the DC documentaries and stuff, because I think it plays in as, like, um, I think the music scene in DC was just a bunch of kids making music. Mm-hmm. There wasn't, like, this, we're going to be political, we're going to, you know, and so mm-hmm. that narrative, like, Similar to conspiracy theories, it's like, I don't know. Or like the Mackays were aliens. <laughs> you were living with Grandma Mackay. She was a lizard woman in the basement. Know. Like, you never saw her. You just saw her caretaker. Um, now, we played, before that Sister Nancy track, we played a Monarchid track. Yes. And uh, from the album, to refer back to it, Let Them Eat the Monarchid. And did you do the graphics on this? No, Andy Cohn did the graphics on okay. those. Andy he... And th- is is there a band between Circus Lupus and Modern Orchid? Yeah, no? there was. Uh, Los Mordidos was. Oh, in that there. was after. Okay, that was the. the and there was a pre Modern Orchid started out as a party band, and we were called the we were called uh, Orchids. What were we called the Orchids? And then then there's another band called Orchid. Right. Oh, there's Orchid <clears throat> Singular, yeah. but that was yeah, that was around 2019. Yeah. That's the guy who owed me the Mr. Show tape to be honest. Oh, <laughs> like that is now I've now outed Jay from Orchid <laughs> as a Mr. Show bootlegger <laughs> in the year 2000. But um yeah, but, but Fred Erskine was in um, Crown Hate Ruin? Yeah, Crown Hate Ruin, mm-hmm. um June of 44. Mm-hmm. Uh Hoover. He he was in the band, and then it evolved into Monorgid. So it was more of a party band. Now, uh, yeah. was your, that was your idea of party music? Yeah. <laughs> and by that, it was like, we're having a party, and I was like, okay, let's play some riffs, and uh-huh. like, I don't know. And the, Let's be the cramps, plus birthday party, plus, I don't know, something. And so you, wasn't, uh, you weren't taking it very seriously at, no. at first. No, yeah. And I never took it seriously, and I think that was like kind of the magic of that band was it was just it was there was no overthinking at all. Really, yeah, yeah. it's just like fun. Yeah, it was fun. And yeah, and Coronado, Coronado, he's like a party person, right? Yeah, that's his. He has a little <laughs> rep for being a party guy. Um, and this record did not come out on Discord, right? Yeah. Oh, so, this one did. Um, here's my conspiracy theory. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So, Monarchy had done a bunch of um, we'd done a bunch of singles. I don't think anybody people liked us just fine, but I don't think anybody was like rushing to like put out a record. Mm-hmm. 
and I don't think we really cared. And so we were like a year and a half in, and I think we started lobbying Ian to be like, "Hey, what do you think? Like, maybe it's time to, you know, like collaborate." Mm-hmm. And um, he he was he basically just shut it down. He was like, um, "I remember having a sit like a big sit down, a sit down, a sit down with Ian Makai," and he's like. You know, he's like, look, man, uh, he had like seven touring bands at the time. Right. And he was just like, we can't. There's just, there's the, just the no... resources are not there. Yeah. Like you're nothing's going to happen. But then he was like, but I think you should talk to Simple Machines. Mm-hmm. And so um, at that time, and actually Simple excuse me, Simple Machines is a great label. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that being great. About. Yeah. They're a great label. But um he pushed us towards them and they were kind of at this, they were trying to reinvent themselves maybe. And so we were totally unlike anything they did. And I think everybody thought, Oh, maybe this will be a good, a good thing. Maybe this will help the label get attention because they're doing something totally different. Right. But unbeknownst to us, by the time we were like, had started the process of putting out like music with simple machines, they had already planned to like kind of mothball, Mm. the operation so it's just kind of like the are you guys the last (laughs) release on the label yeah i think so last release on the label the label that told everyone how to run a label yeah yeah that was actually pretty important back then that was also like a pre-internet thing it was simple machines had a guide to putting out records which that was really instrumental for a lot of people yeah for sure in the 90s it demystified the whole process and now isn't it jenny toomey that works for is it it's like a future of music or something like that i'm not sure she does some non-profit that's about music and technology and uh policy music and and policy yeah i think she was involved trying to get like musicians health care right i remember that being a big thing that never went anywhere i remember that being on the cover of punk planet like let's all get health insurance for the people on our label and then it just kind of uh didn't go anywhere so uh now Monorchid. so this is the first album right yeah there's a second album there's a second album which is on touch and go which is on touch and go right so we had done a tour there um we had a bunch of songs we had played in chicago and Corey kind of like surprised us all and was like i'd really like to put out a record with you and of course within a couple of months the band like was already dissolving so so it's a posthumous record yeah it was a posthumous release but that does actually like i'd say that in a way even back when when ian is like oh circus lupus should be on touch and go that actually makes a lot of sense. yeah yeah it does make sense. Yeah. So he's not like wrong about that. Yeah. In a way. And uh, but at this point, one only one of those labels is a functional. Yeah. So yeah. in a way, like it's just probably better to be on the functional label. Um, but didn't you guys also do a reunion for the Touch and Go? Yeah, shows? we got together. Yeah. We did one show. Mm-hmm. Well, we played two shows. We got together to play. Yet. And what year was that? Like oh nine, oh eight, maybe two thousand. Um. I, six yeah. or seven okay. five i don't know whenever it would have been like what 25 years of touch and go yeah, or something yeah. like that and uh so you got you'd been non-functioning for at least what 10 years almost. yeah yeah or something like that something yeah. like that maybe a little more yeah yeah well, how was doing that reunion it was weird i don't think i don't think we represented ourselves <laughs> to the best of our abilities where did you rehearse it, in chicago yeah so i was in a band in chicago and we had a space and basically, though, we, it was like, okay, we got 24 hours to kind of, like, learn everything. And everybody was supposed to be 
practicing on their own. <laughs> and so, I mean, I mean, people were responsible and stuff, but ultimately it was like, you can't, you're not going to be able to like function, you know, what two practices and yeah, then yeah. a huge show. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So. That's, that's a tall order. Yeah. It was a tall order. And that's a lot of people in that group, right? There's two guitar players. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. So that's a little bit more than other, yeah. other things. And they're fairly, uh, yeah. You remembered your parts. I, yeah. <laughs> There's weird muscle memory, especially uh-huh. like the way I sing. So it's just like, Oh, okay. Like I clicked on some level. And uh, so post Monarchid, there's Skull Control, yeah. which is also on Touch and Go, right? Yeah. Okay. So I think it was like Corey wanted to con- continue that relationship. I also think it was just a great band. And so, um, yeah. Skull is that Control. your, when you think about it now, like of all your bands, like, you know, it's like picking who's your favorite, you know, pet or child. Yeah. What, what, where do you, where do you land on that? How would you rank those? I mean, personally, I think I had the most fun in Mon Orchid, uh-huh. and I think, and there was just a flow, and there was like, we were just like knocking out songs like mm-hmm. crazy, and I've never been in a situation like that. Like, mm-hmm. um, Circus Loop is we kind of overthink things to death. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, other bands I've been in were just like, we, I mean, it would take six months to write one song, and like, uh, Mon Orchid was, mm-hmm. was just cranking them out. Yeah, I mean, and then skull control you think is like the songs are shorter and more yeah. kind of to the point. And like, I remember when that started, like it, that was a very exciting band. I mean, they were all exciting bands, yeah. but that felt like old school punk in a lot of yeah, ways. Yeah. It felt like it was like a punk band Yeah, in a way where it didn't feel like technical or anything. Yeah. <laughs> not to say it was not complicated, but like it definitely felt like to the point. Yeah, exactly. And, and fun. Yeah. And, uh, so, did either of those bands tour Europe, or did you guys no, get out no. of uh, the US um, at all? No, I mean, Monarchy went to Vancouver. Mm-hmm. We did a big, we did a big nationwide tour, and we toured like regionally. Mm-hmm. Um, Skull Control did a countrywide tour, and then we did, um, we did some other like shorter like yeah again regional mm-hmm. shows and were you still involved in black cat at that point in time or had no you kind by of the time from that? i quit so from i think it was like 94 to or 93 ish 94 to like 97 mm-hmm. i was doing black cat and then and you had a day, another day job or was that actually no that was my that was my day job mm-hmm. and i was like going to um school at the time so did you do grad school yeah i was kind of <laughs> what was the grad school what's that story um i like had thought about getting into medicine and so like um so i had to go i never took any like life sciences or like weird stuff so i went back so i was going to school and like taking chemistry and being a mon orchid and um like night school or yeah Yeah. night school like weekends Mm -hmm. also like um i went to university of maryland yeah okay and it would just like i mean it'd be undergrad classes but i take like you already had one degree semester. from Madison. Yeah, I already had like so a So it was BA. like a second BA. Yeah, yeah, so I had to do, it was almost, I had to satisfy these prerequisites because there's a program I was trying to mm-hmm. get into that I never <laughs> got into. This is part of when you say you were having like a lot of different thoughts about trajectories yeah. for life. I was an EMT for a little while. You I were an EMT. Yeah, I worked in a hospital. Okay. Yeah. How do you like that? Um, 
it was interesting. Yeah. I know a lot of people that have become EMTs, actually, yeah. Yeah, have done it. Some of them end up being, they want to become firefighters. Yeah. A lot of that's, if you're, if you got the, if you got the build for it, you can do yeah. firefighting or you just go a more medical direction yeah. with it. But it is like, it's weird hours. You, you see a lot of gory stuff, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you see. Yeah. How long did you do the EMT thing? Um, I don't, like a year, like a year, year uh-huh. and a half. And this is while you're doing the other training. Yeah. And so singing in bands. Yeah. 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 That was the first time I'm on Orchid recorded. I had to take some like kind of, there was an EMT test I had to take and there was like a Saturday morning thing. And so they went to, we recorded in Richmond and they went down to Richmond and I couldn't leave till like one o'clock in the afternoon. They left at like 10. I left at like one o'clock in the Well, they're afternoon. just going to do the tracking and you're just yeah, going to yeah. yeah, pop just gonna in pop and in. do the vocals. Yeah. But there was a toxic, there was a tanker spill. Uh on the highway on 95 and it took me like it's it's 95 miles and it took me like six hours to like oh my god they shut down the highway it was just like Ugh. a mess so i got there and like basically like i had like an hour to sing and all. then turn around and take a test in a couple hours. <laughs> no well no I, I had taken the test oh, and then i like test. hopped uh, in the car to like yeah. drive down there yeah burning the candle yeah for sure both ends uh then when does chicago come in the picture um, so to get into advertising, I went to this advertising program in Richmond and Richmond, Virginia. Okay. And you decided this because the EMT thing. Yeah. Was yeah. That was, yeah. I was like, I should, what do I really want to do? Or I want a creative job. Mm-hmm. So I headed to Richmond, graduated from the program, went to New York, but I couldn't find work. To and, do advertising? You thought you were yeah. going to be like Don Draper? Yeah, basically. York? Yeah. Okay. So I was trying to get uh, work in an advertising agency, and it was the dot com bust had just ha- it was like oh oh two it was two thousand one two thousand one yeah and then nine eleven happened and then you were living in New York when nine yeah, eleven happened yeah and not you weren't in a band at that point I wasn't Nothing in a band yeah. so you were just li- yeah that's yeah that's gnarly and you're like well like, maybe it's good I'm not an EMT is that what comes to mind at that point. Or, yeah, that yeah. was a mine, yeah. There's or maybe no you had the training. That's yeah. good. You had the training <clears throat> if something happens. Do you still have that? Like if, if you can do some CPR on anyone? Uh, no. Came to, no. I don't remember. There's, lost a, all that. Yeah. there's a weird, yeah. Two pumps, <laughs> three breaths. I don't know. Forget Did you have that. to do the clear thing? Like, <laughs> clear. You ever yeah, do that? I don't know if we were... I don't know if we were allowed to do that. Oh, you you weren't because you were still training. Yeah, or even EMTs are only allowed to do so many things. I think mm-hmm. paramedics can do paddles. Mm-hmm. I'm not, maybe I'm wrong about that. Nurses. Well, well, yeah. well, 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 someone will someone will email me at the email account I'm about to open <laughs> for wellfutile uh, at gmail.com. Um, now let's take a quick break. We're nearing the end of our yeah. thing. I just want to, I want to be able to play a skull control yeah. track in a little bit. I didn't back announce, uh, before the Monarchid track, we played, uh, got three by Baus, local Oakland band, post-punk band. And it was the wrong speed, but uh, self-released album. And before that was lakes from Melbourne, Australia cover of the art bears investment capital overseas. And that was on a compilation that I put out on my label, Called Zum, and I will probably play a lot of those tracks because hey, I got a lot of those records. I got to do something with them. But right now, we're going to hear something from a band from Denmark, Croatian Amor.
All right, so this is a track by Croatian Amor from Denmark. And Chris Thompson, thank you for being my guest on my very first hey, show. Hey, thanks a lot, George. And we're going to leave you out on a track from Skull Control from Deviate Beyond All Means of Capture. And this is Camouflage. Thank you for listening to Ninth Floor Radio, 96.9 FM, KGPC. I'm George Chen. This show is called Well Futile. Thanks for listening. <laughs>